It's a very challenging thing to know what being authentic is because essentially it is being yourself. But surely that's a, one of the hardest questions in life to answer. Who am I? Rob Moore, welcome to the Inspired by Show. Thanks for having me on the Inspired by Show. Well, actually, I was going to say thank you for having me in your studio. Pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> I've come for to you, but thank... to our studio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And thanks for it looks giving nice, us the opportunity. This, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm glad. It's uh, it's yeah. nice seeing it on the big screen. It's slightly different to our usual studio, but good to uh, to be up in Peterborough on this uh, yeah. not so sunny day. <laughs> so right. let's jump in. So for those people that maybe do or don't know too much about you, the show, as I mentioned before, is very much around a bit about you that maybe people haven't heard of before. Now, let's start with what they do know about you. So Rob, you're known as a disruptive entrepreneur. Mm. That's part of your brand, having you know a very successful podcast. What do you believe in the concept of disruption? What What is a disruptive entrepreneur? An entrepreneur who goes into a, a space that's already monopolised or close to competition. You could think, for example, London taxicabs and then Airbnb. You could think, for example, London taxicabs and then Uber comes along um, or hotels and Airbnb comes along. And these companies are founded by very entrepreneurial, disruptive people who seem to like the fight to challenge the people who have the monopoly in the industry. And there, it's quite a rare thing because most people, they don't have the stomach for that. Mm. You know, calling out your competitors and making out that they do things wrong um, or nicking all their staff or whatever else is, yeah, it's not for everyone. <laughs> um, so. A disruptive entrepreneur will go into a space that they perceive could be improved. The service could be improved. The speed could be improved. And um, Richard Branson is someone who used to do it a lot when he was younger and more disruptive. I think he's got older now and a bit, bit less disruptive. Mm-hmm. But he used to go. He'd go after the gyms or he'd go after the airline industry. He'd, he wouldn't pick industries because necessarily they were new. He'd pick industries that, that were older, but he thought needed modernization and free markets and fair competition. Um, so on a, a big scale, that's what a disruptive entrepreneur is. Now, not everyone can be that. And I wouldn't necessarily say I am that because mm. my brand of disruptive or disruptor or disruptive entrepreneur is a part about how I am and my companies operate, but it's also a, partly about the type of people I interview on my show. Um, but anyone can disrupt themselves, i.e. I'm in a nine to five job and it's not really for me and I want to start my own business. And then you go and start your own business. That's disrupting your entire life. Do you mm, have kids? No. Well, if you had kids, you know, that would be disruptive to you being a mum going and starting a, a business, mm. for example. Um, so that can be someone who's disruptive, who disrupts themselves and their own somewhat safe trajectory that one day they decide to change. Um, Entrepreneurs can be disruptive if they campaign against the government, against a cashless society or a central bank digital currency, or they campaign to get taxes down. Mm. These can be disruptive entrepreneurs. So, you know, you can be disruptive without just breaking shit and creating chaos for the sake of it, which mm. I think sometimes some of my staff think is what, <laughs> is what I do. Yeah. It's my job description. <laughs> I think a lot of people, though, as well, Rob, think that that is what you need to be. Because when I've obviously I've worked with you for some time and I've come across you for a while now, and a lot of people think that sometimes disruption is being rude, being aggressive, swearing, you know, being abrupt. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think if someone naturally does swear, uh, it, it, 
it's probably authentic to swear. I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, he F's and blinds all the time. And if he's started speaking rather posh, one would wonder what's up with Gary V. Mm. <laughs> so someone like him's going to get away with it. Mm. Whereas my friend Mark Victor Hansen, you know, he would never swear anyway. And that's so, yeah, I think sometimes people think they've got to be more controversial, more divisive, more polarizing, shocking with their headlines and their thumbnails. And th- th- this does raise a good debate. Because if you are not controversial and polarizing, and if you are not putting fear in your email copy <laughs> and your thumbnails aren't all, <gasps> then you're probably not going to get any clicks yeah. and any engagement. But you still need to be authentic to who you are. And some people, you know, I don't really like taking pot shots at people. Mm. I could go and take pot shots at all the existing entrepreneurs and probably create a lot of noise. But I'd probably create as, as many enemies as I did friends. And I certainly would create enemies of them. And these might be peers of mine. So I, you don't have to be it for the sake of it. Um, but the one thing I think you do need to be is disruptive of yourself mm. and your own comfort and your own fears. Because, you know, there's the saying comfort is the enemy of greatness. And sometimes people get very comfortable in the way they do things. And then they get stuck. And if you don't disrupt yourself, i.e. Um, maybe you need to get into AI and figure it out, even if it's a bit scary or technical, or um, you know, maybe you do need to hire some staff and put a bit of stress on the overhead. Um, because if you don't disrupt yourself, your competitors will come and do it. Mm. They, they will quite quickly evolve you out of the industry. I see it all the time. I, I see people too slow to respond. And then they're like, oh, well, it doesn't work anymore. Or I'm only going to do online because face-to-face events don't work anymore. And then they do online and they get really low sharps. And, oh, the sharps are shit. Oh, I'm, not going to, I'm not doing this anymore. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, or, oh, my Facebook ad account got shut down. Instead of doing ads on podcasts and testing TikTok and Twitter ads. But it is, you have to have the appetite to be an entrepreneur to embrace disruption because it never stops. Mm. It's like, I don't I don't hire perfectionists. I don't like hiring perfectionists because they want their ducks in a row. And as an entrepreneur, you never have your ducks in a row. Um, and as soon as you do, someone comes up and fucking shuffles them around everywhere and <laughs> pings them off the wall. Yeah, there's some things to, to mm. think about when it comes to disruption. But no, you, you, you don't, you shouldn't be inauthentic. Mm. Like if you are Mr. or Mrs. Vanilla, make a brand around being vanilla. Mm. Make a joke about being boring. You still can create a brand. You know, if you're a bit more geeky and technical, you know, create that as the brand. Um, and, and you can still be disruptive being that. Mm. If but you don't like conflict, mm. oh, I'm just a people pleaser. Um, you, you can make something out of that. Mm. But it's about being authentically you in the most traditional and the most the best way. And I think one of the things that I see a lot and we both see in our industry is this need to be authentic. And I think the word authenticity has been thrown around a lot in industries where it's like, you know, be authentic, be yourself on social media. But one of the things I value about yourself, Rob, is you are very similar, whether you're in a boardroom, on camera, you know, you show up in the same way. And I've heard you say some hilarious things and some some very direct things in both settings. I use some very silly things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some yeah. things where I'm like, I wish the camera wasn't on yeah. at that point. But yeah. where did your need for disruption come from? Was there a moment you could think back where you're like, that's where you started stretching your comfort zone or being a bit more disruptive in your own, in your world? 
Yeah, I mean, I kind of always was. I was a bit of a rebel at school. Mm -hmm. okay. And I used to do spontaneously silly things, some of which I regretted and some of which were <laughs> funny. And there was always a fine line between the two. And I didn't like authority. I didn't like being told what to do by teachers. I didn't really respect where they were, um, even though I could learn to um, play the game and toe the line. Um, but as I've got older and, and not need, don't need to do that because I've built my own wealth and, you know, I've got a decent amount of freedom that I've created, I don't have to toe the line anymore. I can just express myself in the most natural way possible. Now, I agree with you about this word authenticity. I think about it a lot and I, I, I try not to say it too much because I think you can sound a little bit hippie. Um, it's a very challenging thing to know what being authentic is because essentially it is being yourself, but surely that's a, one of the hardest questions in life to answer, who am I? You know, if I asked anyone now to think about ask, answering, who are you and what are you meant to do with your life? Um, you know, what's your vision, your mission? What, what, what are you on this planet to do and be? You know, that's, these are the hardest questions to answer. People, most people don't ask them. And your authenticity comes from within that. So, and people get confused because some people um, take being authentic as being obnoxious or being over-emotional. Um, well, I'm just an, I'm an emotional person and they try and use that as the excuse for being loose or, you know, out of control. Mm. So, yeah, it's very easy to say, hey, just be authentic. And in reality, you need to answer, who am I? What do I want to do with my life? And then the answers to those questions are going to give you some sense of authenticity. Um, the things about you that are authentic are the things that um, you naturally and spontaneously are and you say and you be and you do. And the things that if you didn't worry about how you were judged, these are the, the things you would say and do. Mm. You know, there's so many topical and controversial subjects right now. You know, my wife and I have these, I think, very authentic conversations. I, I want to get her on the podcast, but she won't have it. But, you know, about, like, for example, if um, women should be paid as much as men mm. uh, and the gender discussion. You know, my wife, for example, um, she said to me that most men who are transgender, i.e. appearing to be women, not the other way around, mm. are perverts. And I actually thought, you're probably right. And um, that, you know, that was a very authentic thing to say. Bearing in mind, she's a very kind person. The reason I thought before I said it is because I thought, oh, my wife's going to not like me saying this. But my wife is a kind, considered person who can really see someone's point of view. But she's like, but if some man is in the toilets pretending to be a woman, but he's got a dick and it's swinging under his towel and he wants these women to look at him. He's a mm. pervert and he shouldn't. He, he, that, you know? <laughs> and she's right about that. And that's a very authentic thing to say. Mm. Um, you know, I, my wife and I, Gemma, we were discussing the gender pay gap. And I said, no, women shouldn't be paid more than men. Women that offer more value should be paid more than men. And men that offer more value should be paid more than women. And so... People who offer more value should be paid more, whether they're a man or a woman. And I said, you know, in the world of modelling, I think women are more valuable to society than men and therefore probably paid more as, as a model. But as a footballer, you know, at the moment, Messi and Ronaldo are worth more than, um, you know, the equivalent superstars in the women's mm -hmm. game. Although the women are doing themselves a big favour at the moment mm -hmm. because they're bloody good.
And if they get the eyeballs and they get equal viewing and they attract equal sponsorship and they're equally valuable, they should be equally paid, mm. but not equally paid because they're a woman. Yeah. And that's that for me is being authentic. But inauthenticity would be, oh, well, I can't say that on a podcast. I might get cancelled mm. and trying to tone it down. Or inauthenticity would be just doing just taking little bite-sized bits of that and putting it on TikTok and trying to make it go viral. Mm -hmm. Authenticity, hopefully, is us having a conversation about it. It's, it's definitely uh, something that people should think about a lot. Yeah, and I appreciate your honesty because I think a lot of people will value that and they want the raw and real. Now, Rob, you mentioned there about one of the reasons that, well, one of the good things that can help you get out of that is the mentorship, the guidance, people that can show you how to do it. And now you're doing that. I mean, you've helped, I don't know, thousands of people through progressive success with mentoring them. Who inspired you on your journey or who mentored you at your early stages for you to then go on and help other people? Um, a guy called Warren Bourget, who is a big property guy, unfortunately he's passed away now. Um, he, he, him um, taught me the, the no docs mortgages um, documents, <laughs> we would call it something different in the UK. Um, and Mark Homer, who I'm business partners with, you know, he had a lot more property than I did when we started. Uh, John, Mar John Martini, I've learned a lot from him. Mm -hmm. I think he's very wise. Um, I mean, look, I'm, I'm a bit of a sponge. Uh, every day's a school day. So, you know, I try and learn from everyone. I've, I'm fortunate enough to interview and know some billionaires from my show who I stayed in touch with. Um, Andreas Paniotu gave us some, some guidance and some mentoring. James Kahn from Andreas, Andreas Paniotu is a billionaire property investor. James Kahn from Dragon's Den, he, he gave us some mentoring back in 2012. Yeah, so you know, you, you go for the best, mm. you know. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll keep doing that. I mean, I, you know, world's changed now, and a lot of the people who are doing very well are in their 20s. Mm. You know, look at the Paul brothers, how well they're doing with social media engagement and you know monetizing that through boxing or you know prime or whatever and you know whether or not i agree with the end product it's not really relevant are, are that have they been good at building a following and entertaining and getting engagement yeah and they've been very disruptive i mean they've really disrupted boxing mm. like the biggest most disruptive thing in boxing since muhammad ali or mike tyson probably um if you think about what they've done mm and how they get more pay-per-views by like eight or nine times or something, I believe, check your figures, mm. than even the, the most successful boxers in the world. It's mad, mm. mad. And so you learn from people like that as well. Well, you learn if you want to be successful from people mm. like that. That's what I, I value though, because you learn from people that are maybe not in the exact same space, but look how they've done it. And I agree with, particularly with Logan Paul and KSI, the way they've brought in Prime into the industry, you know, it's proven that it's the audience that you want to have. It's, it's when you have an audience, you can build a business. Nowadays, you've got Coca-Cola, McDonald's, who are essentially going to be wanting to partner with influencers like that. And it's about finding the audience, not necessarily the best product. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, if you get put a gun to my head and said, would you rather have the best product or the, the largest audience? I'd take the largest audience. Mm. Now, obviously, if you keep selling them a load of shit in the end, you're going to lose trust with your audience. And you could argue if you've got a great product like an Apple iPhone, mm. good customers will find you. And both of those are true to a certain degree. But you've got a good couple of shots with a really good audience, engaged and size sizable. You've got a good, you know, you'd have to sell them two or three shit things before they really don't trust you. Um, I personally think Prime's shit, yeah. um, but the kids don't. 
and I paid £22.50 for three fucking primes just to shut my kids up. So, so they did something right. Yeah, then. who's the who's the idiot? But I I I get why all the kids want it. Mm. So I, I don't knock it. Um, yeah, and you know, just because I'm becoming a bit more aware now of all the the false things that are in food doesn't mean that prime's necessarily the worst drink on the market, does it? It doesn't mean mm. that at all. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they have more reach and impact than global corporations. And, and, and also, the difference between a customer who buys something at convenience versus a fan. You know, a fan is my son going, I want prime! I want prime! I want prime! Daddy! You know, but that's different than a convenience buyer mm. who buys when it's convenient to them. So, and with social media and having a personal brand, you build that loyalty because mm. people are fans. They buy everything. And this mm. is what you want. Mm. Powerful. That, that, but that also lends itself to podcasts as well because it's like regular like TV, TV series, podcast, radio, where you want people to come back for more and for listen. And I want to talk about your podcast a little bit because you've been, I think last time I checked, well over a thousand episodes now on, yeah. the, Disruptor, on the Disruptors podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, I have another podcast called Money as well. And I think between the two of them, we must be pushing nearly 1,300 episodes. Wow. So, yeah, we've been doing this a little while. Um, yeah. Wow. It, it, I mean, it's from, it's what it I is. don't even, I think we're number 20 or something on this show. So, well, you know, it's, it's apparently all the average somewhere. is around about 20. So, you're oh, wow. already exceeding, yeah. you know. Fingers crossed it continues. We'll yeah, see. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, there might Everyone. be different platforms by the time we get to thirteen thousand, but I'll uh, yeah. thirteen hundred. But I'll, I'll definitely give it a go. Yeah. You've you've met a lot of disruptive entrepreneurs or disruptive people, a lot of successful people. Who would you say you enjoyed interviewing the most? Chrissy Eubank. <laughs> the reason you heard a little <laughs> from Harry is because that was my hardest interview by a factor of one million. Oh wow. He was fucking slippery and obnoxious and offensive and high and weird yeah and i really enjoyed it and ha harry at the end was like what the fuck just happened and i was like that was amazing yeah yeah because you know there's there's people i could list that i'm a personal fan of mm. there's people i can list that came across really well in interview or i got on really well with but actually the great interviews are the ch most challenging ones mm. and when you ask bold questions and and you you don't shy away or play small yeah so um i can't really explain it without you watching it mm. because he was just so strange on another level of strange and it was weird mm. and everyone was for years, people have been asking me where I buy my watches. Many of you may know I'm a watch collector, I'm a watch investor, and those as an asset class have done me very well in the last 15 years. I have never shared where I source my watches from or my watch dealer until now. My watch dealer used to be a professional footballer for Manchester United, and he formed a watch brand called Broadwalk, and he sources the higher-end brands like Rolex, Audemars Piguet, Patek Philippe and Richard Mille. I trust him, I've used him for many years, and recently we've done a partnership. Hence, I'm inviting you, if you want to start investing in watches and protect your money from the banks and inflation, to check out Broadwalk. That's B-R-O-A-D-W-A-L-K. And the website is broadwalkgroup.com. The email is sales at broadwalkgroup.com. And please don't share this, but his number is 07496. 
0478-078-153. Obviously, only message him if you're serious about buying and investing in the higher-end watches. People have been asking me for years, and for the first time ever, you can get access to my watch team. Like, this is fucking weird, but I have to watch it. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to love this. I know this is a yeah. bit strange, but I do love yeah. it anyway. Yeah. It's, uh, I suppose in some ways it's like, you know, you watch the serial killer stuff. You don't really want to watch it, but there's something fascinating about it. And this, this interview was like that and being there and, you know, I, I think mo uh, me a few years before or many other newer interviewers would have just wilted like a piece of spinach in a wok. Mm. And uh, I didn't. I stood my ground and pushed back on him and he didn't like it. Love and, it. Yeah. So um, if you want some entertainment, I mean, there were, I w yeah. there's more entertainment value really than... I mean, there's some useful stuff in there, um, but it's, yeah, it's more entertainment mm. value. So that, that stands out. I mean, I interviewed Andrew Tate and that was great. Yeah. It was three hours and 20 odd minutes and, you know, he just opened up and mm. um, he's a very good orator. And obviously he's probably the most controversial person right now. And um, it's on brand for me to interview someone like that, even though it still mm. pisses people off and they don't get why I'm interviewing someone like that, even though the show's called <laughs> <laughs> the whole point is to be interviewing nah! entrepreneurs. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, pound for pound, he was probably the best thing for us at the time, mm. Andrew Tate was, I would say. Mm. Yeah. Although he did get a shadow ban. Not he didn't. It's not, you know, his, the content did. Um, and that was, that was hard. We've had a couple of shadow bans, which just put you back a year. Mm. Um, but it's all part of the game. You dance with the devil. You know, sometimes you get burned. Mm. Well, it's like you said, it's the risk. You've got to, you know, like you said on public speaking, you've got to go, you've got to make sure it lands, go for it. And it might land, it might not, but that's yeah. part of the risk you take. Who's who's on the hit list? Who have you not had on any, either of the podcasts that you would like to have? Um, we recently had Greg Wallace of MasterChef of 20 years. And he's absolutely brilliant and a lovely human. I got to know him before the show. So I was really glad that one got done. Um, we had Nigel Farage again. He's brilliant. He's always good value. We've got Will I Am. I've wanted Will I Am for about four years. Fantastic. We've got Will I Am. Agreed. That one's not been recorded yet, so that that may take some time. Andrew Tate Part Two is the big one, and that's been agreed. Fantastic. Although we don't, that's not recorded yet. Um, Tristan Tate as well. That's agreed, and though not recorded yet. Um, I mean, I'd love Arnie Trump, Bill Gates. Oh, Bill Gates. I mean, that would be spicy as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, Elon Musk would be great. Did I say that? Um, Gordon Ramsay. Sorry? Jordan. Jordan Peterson again. We had him, mm. him once before. Is this yeah. Harry's hit list or your hit list or is it a, mi a mixture oh, of the thing, two? It's the same thing, isn't it, really? It's yeah, a, I love yeah, it. Harry's thing. living through, through your interviews yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. But I think a lot of your viewers and listeners will be, will be listening through that and wanting and, and being curious. And have you ever had that feeling where you've recorded an episode and you're like, oh, could have done that better or I could have maybe asked different questions or or are you the sort of person that goes that's how it came out and that's both actually okay. so at the end I let it go like I used to do art and so you have to know when to finish a piece of art mm. and if you keep painting on it you end up ruining it so you have to let it go a bit like raising a child you have to let them go into the world so once it's done I usually let them go I, I, you know there was, what, half a sentence, we'll edit out here, when, but other than that, this will go, and I won't mm. ask for anything to be edited. So um, I think I've got better at doing that and letting it be what mm. it is, 
Um, and also, I don't want Harry to spend all the time having to take stuff out. Mm. He's got better things to do with his time. Um, you know, he's very valuable to the brand and he goes out and gets guests and can do other things. So I don't want there to be a lot of friction. Um, so I always let myself get to that point. However, the really good ones, you only get to ask half your questions and you would have liked to have asked the other half and then you mm. just try and get a part two. Um, occasionally, just through negligence on my part, I leave out one of the best questions. So who controls the world? It always does well on our show. And once or twice, I think I've omitted to ask that just because just I said negligence is a bit harsh word for myself. Mm. But, you know, just just forgot, just missed it mm. out. Um, and occasionally I could have asked that. But, you know, I'm in a privileged position and I, it's fun to do. And I mean, I always nick more time. Um, I, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, it was. Um, most people won't know him, but my my rock idol is a guy called Stephen Wilson, who's in a progressive rock band called Porcupine Tree. And we were like two hours in, and he's like, "Oh, I think I think this this is done now, isn't it?" And I and and I just carried on, and and um, yeah, Harry just chuckled there because it's like it's done when I decide, yeah. <laughs> not when you decide. I'm, I'm, I don't mind nicking a bit of their time. They're here, yeah. And uh, and also I let him pitch his new album, so I, I think he's probably glad I pushed it a bit um so I, I always do my best I mean actually that being said Jordan Peterson we got screwed a bit on the time didn't we because um they didn't let Harry set up before so Harry had to set up in the time that we had to interview Jordan even though Harry got there before so Harry got there before so he could set up so when Jordan got there we were ready and we got the hour but Harry had to set up and then we had to interview in the same time so we only got what 40 minutes, 40 minutes. and that pissed me off that really mm. pissed me off Especially as some some guy came up to him before Jordan, how are you? And like it was obvious I was there to interview him, and it was time. And this guy just nicked his time for about fifteen minutes. I want to punch him in the fucking face. <laughs> um, so yeah, that um, that sucked. Yeah. Um, and we and, and they promised a round two. And I, I can't say this about Jordan Peterson, but if their team is watching, their team promised a round two. Mm. You should deliver on your word what you promised. Um, and that hasn't happened yet. So that pissed you know that pissed me off. Mm. Um, but yeah, but I'm not losing sleep over it. I'm sure they're not. Yeah, that's I'm sure. Enough. Jordan could just get a hundred grand to go and sign a pair of tits or something. Now with how <laughs> powerful he is, sure he doesn't give a fuck. Although one thing I will say is to all the agents out there, you know, if you agree and promise something, do it because you make the guys you represent look bad. Because mm. I, I, if if I've been promised an interview with Jordan Peterson, I assume it's had the blessing of Jordan Peterson. So I might start to resent Jordan Peterson if I don't get that interview. Might have not been anything to do with Jordan. The agent might not have even put it in front of Jordan. If Jordan said yes, the agent should should do it. Because mm. um, this is your reputation. You know, Bartlett did that to us. You know, he's quite big now, Stephen Bartlett. But like, you know, yeah, you should come on my show. Yeah, come on my show. Yeah, you should come on my show. And then, oh, oh wait a minute, he's got a bit, bit, bit too big now. Mm. You know, with all of his. Uh, and it's like, I, I actually liked the guy when I hung out with him. And then after that, I just thought that was a bit knobbish. And so it leaves a bit of a taste in your mouth. And I, I even say to myself, I don't want to feel like that because I liked him. But just don't do that. Mm. And, and even, even if you, you know, have to make up for it or you end up doing it later, just sort it out. Yeah, yeah I try. I learn, and, and by the way, me saying that, I'm not perfect. So I also, that's why I, I think, whatever. But I think it's a good way to live your life. Mm. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of vacuous, empty promises and bullshit out there in the in the world of media. Mm -hmm. If I say I'll be on someone's show, I'll be on their show. 
and if you won't find anyone out there that's if I've said it, they've not got on it. And and if one slipped through the net, email support at robmore.com, we'll sort it out. I'll get it mm. done. Because, you know, I just think it's the right thing to do. Mm. You're right, though, because often as businesses grow and brands grow, standards can slip because maybe what you expected isn't always what the team expects. But I think it comes back down to everyone taking responsibility for their what their brand represents. Right? Yeah. I, look, I ran a business and it got big. And I got more opportunities than I could handle. Like, I, you know, I even feel guilty when I don't reply to someone on WhatsApp. And sometimes mm. I have to ignore someone on WhatsApp. Someone's pitching me like 10 times on WhatsApp at the moment. He's probably pissed off with me. I should reply. I, I get it as well. You can't do everything. But if you said it, then... Because, like, I've, I've got quite a lot of reach. Let's say I put this episode on my show. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a few million people that are going to watch or listen to it, possibly. And I just said what I said about Butler, and I wouldn't have done. If he's, you know, yeah. If if he stuck to his word, and if it's not him, it's his agent. Well, actually, he said it to me, so it was him. Mm. So he can't even say that. And if it's his agent, then the agents, mm. yeah, yeah. I I always say though, it's what people say about you says more about your brand than whatever color logo values you put up on your wall, because people will remember. Yeah, that. that's true. That is true. What people say about you is much more your brand than. Yeah, your your image imagery mm-hmm. that is true. Actually, though, if I'm being self-critical, I've just been critical. And does, what does that say about me? Mm. But I think it's I'm also critical about central bank digital currencies and cashless society. Does that make me wrong because I'm, oh, I shouldn't be critical of them? They need to be fucking held to account. Mm. We cannot have a cashless society. Life is fucked if we have a cashless society. So actually, people need to be held accountable. Um, and so I might have done them a little bit of a favour, maybe. We'll see. Brilliant. We'll see if anything changes. Well, we're talking about time, and I want to be respectful of yours, because I have absolutely no clue where we are with time, nor <laughs> where, what I was promised either. So being respectful of your time, Rob. Well, I'm not going anywhere, so you can ask the questions you've got in your head. Fantastic. Well, we'll see, we'll see, how, see how we but get you, on. I mean, you weren't promised anything. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. when uh, Katie messaged me saying, you've got this much, and I was like, we'll see. <laughs> but once <laughs> Rob and I get chatting, we shall see. Yeah. Um, so, Rob... Now, obviously, you've achieved so much in your career over the last sort of 17, 18 years that you've been building this up. Whether or not you probably see that, I don't know if you take moments of being like, shit, this is really awesome. But what's next for Rob Moore or for Progressive or the Money, money Show or anything like that that you're working on at the moment? Um, yeah, well, we're, we're, um, we are doing a lot more money-related content. I've just written a book called Money Matrix. I'm writing a book called Money Loves You. Um, and... Yeah, I've got a lot of money content I want to share with the world. And I think one of the big problems in society is a, their bad relationship with money. So certainly that's, you're going to see a lot more of that related content from me over the next few years. Um, we'll keep interviewing disruptors. We'll keep growing, growing our training and information-based business. I'll keep investing in property, buying watches and cars and <laughs> McQueen and Labutin. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just love business and entrepreneurship. We'll keep playing the game of social media and dancing the dance and trying to figure out virality. Our Nigel Farage interviews are just currently popping off at the moment. It's really good. Um, our our money, More Money Secrets has had a good week, that channel. So, you know, you have moments in time where some of your channels are doing well and some of them are doing shit. We'll just keep trying to get them all to do quite well. We got out on the streets of Peterborough a few times. We're asking people money-related questions, you know, on the streets of Peterborough. I love that. Yeah, so so just trying to switch it up, Mm -hmm. um, keep the variety there. Yeah, I'm gonna, Mm -hmm. I'm probably gonna write at least one book a year, maybe more. Mm -hmm. I've got a series on money of probably which 
I'm two in of about seven. Mm, wow. Yeah. And that was actually something I wanted to ask you about because I run a book publishing business and I've still yet to this day meet, met anyone that's published as many books as you have. Yeah. It's definitely been a It's my a therapy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> therapy. So, last time I checked, you'd published 18 books, but I'm pretty sure it's going up or has gone up since then. So how, what, what number book are you on to now? I don't, actually don't know if it's 17 or 19. Okay. And that's including um, co-authored. Mm -hmm. So I co-authored Reinvent Yourself with Joe Ratner, co-authored with Mark Homer, co-authored with Kevin McDonnell. Mm -hmm. um, so it's including those. Because mm -hmm. if you look at just my name, I think you find eight. Mm -hmm. um, so 17 or 19, I don't know which one. If you found 18 and I've just done Money Matrix, then it's 19, although I've nearly finished Money Loves You, which would be 20. Wow. Yeah, I don't, it, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Mm. Where, what was your first book and what made you want to write it? Property Investing Secrets in 2008. Because a few people had asked us, well, more than a few actually, had said, you know, oh, you guys should um, write a book or um, there's no podcast back then. Um, you know, people started recognising that we knew about property. And I also thought, well, you know, if I could sell a thousand books in, and get 200 of them to come to an event on the subject of the book, that could be good for business. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And have you ever wanted to write a book or add more into your books of your own personal story? Or has it been kept kind of separate like your social media? Mm, I'm a bit torn on that one. Mm. On the one hand, I think some books are a bit self-aggrandizing. Um, let's use that word. Um, on the other hand, I think I, I, maybe I can be go to a, my, my default is how to, mm -hmm. hardcore how to. Um, this is this is how you do this, this, and this. This is how you get rich. But it, like the world wants storytelling and entertainment, and so I sometimes maybe default into how to without going into well, what about my story on the journey towards that how to? Mm. So I, I sort of I think you can get most of my stories through most of my books, and I'm glad that. I, there isn't just one big fat passage of me bragging about myself because mm -hmm. it'd look out of date now. It'd be like seven books. This yeah. is my seventh book. Well, actually, it's now 20. So I'm glad I didn't do that because yeah. it would have just go out of date. Mm. Um, yeah, but I think your credibility is in your experience of having done the thing. And so, you know, I write about money. So I have to tell personal experiences. Otherwise, people might say, well, sorry, how much have you got, mate? Mm. Um, why should I listen to you? And you need to you'd feed people that, you know, you need to um, show them that you know what you're talking about and that you're credible. Mm. I think I see that a lot in the book publishing world where you usually have what, people are in one or two camps, how to core or here's my memoir, here's my biography. And actually, unless you have a big brand, yeah. no one gives a shit. No, like, no one's going to buy it. Um, sad but true. Sad yeah. but true. A lot of people want to write an autobiography about 20 years too early. Yeah. I haven't written an autobiography and I've done 20 books. So I've either got no self-confidence or I'm waiting. Mm. You only get one chance to land that autobiography. Wait mm. and wait and wait. And then when you're big, then do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. no unfortunately, no one gives a fuck. Yeah. You're right. Which is why if you lace your personal experience in with some useful how-to, that can be a mm. good mix. It can, it can be a memoir stroke how-to hybrid and I think that that works. Yeah that's that's what I always recommend it's weaving in your personal story into the how-to because yeah. the book's never about us your books aren't about you my books aren't about me it's about the person that wants the mm. value but they learn best through story. Yeah and if they um, are learning how to get wealthy they want to know immediately first that the author is wealthy. Yeah and I imagine teaching money I mean I definitely don't teach any money making strategies but I imagine teaching money the first thing people are going to do is search you how much money is he worth I probably would gather one of the first most 
searched questions on Google is how much is Rob Moore worth? Um, yeah, the, the, the second is Rob Moore net worth. Yeah. The first is Rob Moore wife. <laughs> Seriously? No idea why. <laughs> Gemma needs to get on this podcast. <laughs> it, it would, I'll tell you, it would blow up. It would blow up. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I actually addressed that in Money Matrix. I said, um, my accountant, my business partner and my wife have sworn me to secrecy in revealing my net worth, so you'll never find it out. Go and Google it if you want, and you'll find 70,000 and 200 million, and neither mm. of those are, are correct, so good luck. Mm. I can't tell you that, because cause actually, I can't. Mm. And actually, I probably don't know. I've stashed a load of money everywhere. I'll probably be mm. a few million out. I can tell people it's more than 10. I can tell people it's less than 500. <laughs> but that's all you're getting. But I, I will be specific with what you know, what property values are and what money I've made. I just bought a £255,000 watch. You know, I can, I can give you some specifics, um, but, but no one's going to, surely no mm. one's going to reveal their net worth, are they? Mm. I, I mean, anyway, I actually think, right, I heard one guy, um, I, it was Samuel Leeds, and someone asked him what his net worth was. And he said, I like to think it's 25 million, i.e. he hasn't got a fucking clue or he's just made that shit up. So I think, <laughs> unless you say, oh yeah, I track it every six months and I just looked at my spreadsheet last week mm. and it's this, you either don't know or you're guessing or you're bullshitting. I actually asked Robin Sharma, um, what's your net worth? And he was like, that is such a rude question. I was quite pleased he was offended. It is a rude question, actually. That's why we ask it. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, and like I, I, I would, I would answer it honestly, and mm. that's the going back to being authentic. You know, I, I roughly know what it is, and part of me thinks I want to say, mm. but it, my wife and my business partner, especially like if my my tax accountant says if you blur out your net worth, that's going to cause you all sorts of issues. <laughs> Don't do it. So, um, and that's being authentic, listening to wise people around mm -hmm. me. Yeah, and it's good though because it also shows that they know you. Because some people wouldn't even be given that instruction. Some well, yeah, it's a like, warning. Yeah. yeah, it is a warning. <laughs> you will be tempted and you will be asked. So I'm, I'm only tempted it. because I, I, I like to be as truthful as possible. Mm. You know, I do believe I'm pretty truthful. You know, you even said yourself how I am on and off camera is similar. You know, I, I can lie too. I'm a human. Anyone can lie. Mm. So I'm not saying I've never lied. And I'm not saying sometimes I will decline an answer. But I mostly don't. I don't think I've declined an answer on this show. So that's that. I'm that is my goal to be like that. Mm. So it does somewhat disappoint me if I don't answer a question. Mm. But I'm, I'm not answering it for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, and not because yeah. of yourself as well. It's not like you're protecting yourself. You're doing. Oh, it I just for fucking your... say it, and then I get myself in shit. Yeah, and funny enough, your tax advisor, your wife, and your business partner probably all have different reasons for you not wanting to. Yeah, they do. That. They all have selfish reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they're all linked to me in some way. Um, but no, I'm pleased that I've managed to keep my mm -hmm. mouth shut about that one. Mm -hmm. um, although I haven't looked at my spreadsheet and put all my assets in one place for that, that many months, mm. I might be out by a few more. Mm. And yeah. for anyone listening or watching, I'm not going to ask Rob that question. So those of you guys are well, still you listening and tuning we've, into. We've yeah. pretty much covered it. Yeah, without, exactly. I've, I've answered it in a way I would have answered answered it even without you asking. <laughs> but one of the things, Rob, you mentioned there about your spreadsheets. I remember when, when I was mentoring for you and we'd be in the room and you'd got students there asking questions and you would just get up a spreadsheet of inside your business and you're like, oh, managing director's not gonna like this, but I wanna show you how I do this. Yeah. You're very open when you're mentoring. You're not like, here's what I'm gonna teach you, but here's what I actually do. Yeah. Is that something you've always done? Have you always been very open no. and transparent? 
No. Or is it something you've learned on the journey? No. Well, I mean, when you when we started in business, we didn't want anyone to fucking know how we mm. succeeded. Because I had a scarcity mindset and a fear of failure and a fear that if I told anyone, they would nickel my clients or they would nickel my staff or they would copy me. So no, I was quite guarded. Now, I'll quite happily give everyone all the information because mm. one, I know most of them will do fuck all. And two, it's a gauntlet to those that will do something, i.e. Mm. go do it. Um, and I've got an abundant mindset now, not a scarce mindset. And I've got clients who pay me 25 to 50 grand so they can have all the best shit. Mm. So I've changed on that. Um, and I'm, I actually like that about myself. Mm. My business partner's still a bit more like, oh, no, no, can't have it. Um, and, but that's him, and I, I like that wasn't a criticism. Is um, and actually for our best clients, he does give the best bits. Mm. Um, yeah. So now I've changed, I've changed mm. my tune on that. And also from what I've seen from an outsider's perspective, people have taken it and have copied your business model and have tried to be the best. And at where it. are they? And where are we? Exactly. But they're they're still they have done well, but they've not achieved. They'll no, not all. A lot. Most of them haven't done well. A lot of them come back asking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's hard. I'm, I, I know that maybe came mm. across a bit cocky, mm. but it's, business is fucking hard. Yeah. And doing business for nearly 20 years is really hard. Mm. Um, so I, I'd actually want to help people along the way, give them the assets and the resources I've got. Statistically, they're likely to fail. Statistically, I'm likely to fail, though I like to break statistics. Um, so no, it, it, it might come across a bit cocky and flippant. It's not. It's hard. It's really mm. fucking hard to succeed for a long time. Um, some people do, I don't know anyone that's left me that's done better than me. Um, but I'm not really comparing myself to them. That's just, mm. we're on different paths in life. Mm. And you're also already, you're sharing what you've done, but you're, you're not one to share things that you're trying or you're testing because you want to give what works. So you're, what I've always noticed about Progressive is you're always going, well, let's invest in it, let's test it ourselves first. If that works, then we'll roll well, it Well, you out. look stupid if you recommend something you haven't tried and it fails on someone else. Mm -hmm. um, and... So I, I like to lose my own money because I'll, I'll make sure it's small. Yeah, because if you give a couple of duff recommendations in the end, you're going to lose goodwill with that person. Mm. That's, by the way, one of the reasons why Mark's a bit like that. And I don't blame him because he's given recommendations in the past and they've got burned and it's not his fault and it looks bad on him. Um, my business partner, Mark. So, yeah, if I've got a set of data, I don't mind sharing it. And I think... One, who's going to benefit from that? And two, how much have they invested with me? And three, how, are they likely, how likely are they to succeed? If they want everything for free and they're not likely to succeed, then they don't get as much as if someone's invested 50 grand in mentoring with me for a year. And they'll, like, people who've invested 50 grand in mentoring with me for a year, they can have access to the, the Google Doc, which is the KPIs that I use in my business, which has about mm -hmm. 300 sets of data on it. Um, and sometimes people succeed and often they fail, and that's just the way it is. Mm, yeah, the, the big, there's big differences between those people that do succeed and don't. What would you say has been the core thing that's made you and Mark, if you put it into business context, so different so that you have then succeeded that length of time? Yeah, um, one thing I'm very clear about is the fact that we're in business together and I have a business partner and he's very different to me. And he's good at the operations and the technical and the practical and the analytical and the legal. And I'm good at the strategy and the vision and the sales and the marketing and the communication. So we're very good in very different areas, very extreme, extremely different. And that's probably the main reason. Mm. Um, most people fail because they um, grow too quick or um, they start doing all right and then they move into something they don't know anything about and that fails them. They fail at it. Um, they give up too soon. They don't give up quick enough. 
they haven't got the stomach for it, they just wanted it for the money. You know, there's quite a few different types of reasons as to why someone might not endure. I love what I do, I do what I love. I've always made sure I've got enough variety, but within the same niche. I've got a business partner who's good in the areas I'm not. Um, I've learned to leverage and see, face necessary evils and see them as necessary, whereas most people don't want to do them, don't want to hire staff, don't want to spend on marketing agencies. Yeah. Um, don't want to do social media and I see those as necessary, shouldn't call them evils, necessary benefits. Um, so yeah, there's just some of a sprinkling mm. of seasoning of the reasons why some fail and some succeed. Mm. Now Rob, I do want to wrap up this interview with one final question. You've shared a lot of your inspiring story and also a lot of inspiring messages for some of our viewers and our listeners. Who do you know that has an inspiring story that we should have on the show next? Um, so whenever we talk about guests, there's essentially who's most likely to get views and who's a really good guest. And sometimes that's the same, but often it's not. Mm. So there's two people I can think of who you're not necessarily going to get a billion views, but their stories are great. Mm -hmm. And that is Mark Ormrod. He came on my show. Um, look him up. And Sniper. Remember the Sniper? Craig Harrison. Okay. Um, has the world record for the longest snipe, sniper kill and um, was just so unbelievably honest about his extreme, what do they call it, PPTSD, no, chronic PTSD. Wow. And so in terms of story, uh, Paul Merson, in terms of stories, Paul Merson, Craig Harrison, Mark Ormrod, they're like, jaw hits the floor, wow. So uh, they're the best. Um, and they're the best I've heard on any podcast, even ones that are bigger than mine. Um, but they're not necessarily the most viral. Mm. But I don't care. Um, if you want virality, Andrew Tate, Andrew Tate, Tristan or Andrew Tate. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so yeah. much, Robert. It's been, it's been really great having you here on the show. Thank you for having us Pleasure. in your studio. And for anyone that is tuning in, I hope you have enjoyed this episode as much as we have. It has been awesome. So many golden nuggets shared. What is it about... Always, people, a lot of people have coffee cups in. I mean, that's not even got any coffee in it, look. Do you know, it actually did. I was just finished, oh. I was finished drinking but it. The, the, it's not got the lipstick on. The lipstick's <laughs> been taken off, because there's lipstick on that. Yeah, there is a lipstick um, on that. Well, what is it with people who are like, oh, look, there's me and my coffee. Yeah. Is there anything behind or is it? Was, is there, any, there is. So yeah. I do a I do a Facebook Live series called Coffee with Chloe every morning. So I go right. live every single morning at 8 a.m. And so these photos were designed for that. And the podcast oh, was then. originally going to be yeah. to do with that, but we decided to have a slightly different brand for it. Okay, well, that, that makes yeah. sense. Coffee with Chloe, 8 a.m. every morning. Yeah. All right. Exactly. So thank cool. you guys for being here. It's been awesome having you listening and uh, and watching. If you are watching on our YouTube channel, if you haven't already, do share in the comments as usual what has been the biggest takeaway from this live. And if you're not already subscribed and following us on YouTube or all the usual podcast platforms, make sure you do that next so you don't miss out on our next inspiring guest. We'll see you next week.